0: Good morning, you're listening to Prodigal Apologetics Morning Podcast. I am Wes Dover, and alongside me is my lovely wife, Savannah Dover.
1: Hi, guys.
0: Today, guys, we're going to talk about something called eternal security. And eternal security, if you don't know what we're talking about, is a doctrine that states if you have been saved, if you've genuinely put your trust in Christ, if you have trust in Christ and repented of your sin... You are eternally secure in your salvation. In other words, you can't lose it. That's what eternal security, that's what the doctrine states. Now, eternal security is not one of those primary doctrinal issues. There are several different, let's call them tiers of doctrinal issues. There's primary, there's secondary, there's tertiary, and my wife's going to make fun of me for mispronouncing the last one, but she's wrong. I call it quaternary. But uh, how do you pronounce it?
1: Courtenary.
0: Courtenary. So, uh, in the chat, let's see who's who's right. Let poll in the comments, something like that. Anyway, so there are different tiers of issues, and here's how the issues break down. Your primary issues. Your primary issues are those beliefs that you have to have right in order to be saved. You have to believe that Jesus is Son of God. You have to believe that Jesus is God incarnate. Those are primary doctrines. Do you have to understand how they work? No. You have to believe them? Yes. Those are are core essentials to the faith, such as um, do you believe you're a sinner? Is Jesus the only way to salvation? Those are primary doctrines. Secondary doctrines are doctrines that on their face are not that are not soteriological meaning you don't have to have them to be saved however under their surface depending on why you believe that could be so for example eternal security i would rank as a secondary doctrine if someone if a brother says that he is not in favor of eternal security he doesn't agree with it biblically i might ask him okay why if he tells me that he read this version or this passage of the Bible, and he said, "Well, this verse here and there seems like it contradicts eternal security," that would be a plain secondary issue. That's a matter of interpretation of a scripture, and it's nothing that we divide over. Because what if he he believes all the correct things about salvation and what it takes to be saved and all this, and about Jesus and about the Bible and all this, but what if I have a brother who comes up to me and says that he doesn't believe in eternal security and it's because he believes that it that he has to earn his salvation by grace plus works and that he can lose his salvation by not working by by refusing to work well then that's a whole different problem it's not just eternal security it becomes a primary doctrine your tertiary your tertiary issues would be such as those that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things, these, these don't really normally have underlying issues that could jump up to a primary doctrine. So, For example, um, we have um, issues such as, in my opinion, and this is of course my opinion, I'm getting a bit opinionated here, but um, for example, smoking cigarettes. Do I advise it? No. Do I think it's a bad idea? Of course um is it something that is a sin to do well not necessarily we have what we call audi the offer or liberty within scripture we have liberty uh, whereas it doesn't cause your brother to stumble and whether it doesn't convict your conscience as long as it's not explicitly mentioned as a sin in scripture or as long as the scripture scriptural principles don't teach that it is sin then you have certain freedom in christ final quaternary or quaternary issues are those that in no way shape or form could these be sinful like what color is the carpet in the church um what where do we place the piano yes i've heard of places unfortunately splitting over this issue but these are issues that okay they're somewhat related they're loosely related to scripture but they're not that important um, and nobody, certainly nobody, should be dividing over. We divide over issue over primary issues. We try not to divide over the other ones. Um, but anyway, let's get on to the secondary issue of eternal security. And I want to read a couple of scriptures to you that can prove that eternal security is a valid biblical doctrine. I don't want you to believe. I don't want you to get into this mode where you just believe because I'm you know believe what I say just because I'm like some talking head on the internet I don't want anyone to believe what I say just because there is a doctorate honorific in front of my name I don't want someone to believe that anyway I want you to believe primarily on the basis of scripture if you're not if you're if I'm disagreeing with scripture I'm wrong if you're disagreeing with scripture you're wrong if we're both disagreeing with scripture we're both wrong scripture is what is true, and everyone else, uh, if they disagree with scripture, is wrong. Um, the Bible says one part, um, let God be true and every man be a liar. Um, so I want you to think about this, wherever you fall on the eternal security line, wherever you fall on the secur- eternal security line, whether you think that you can lose your salvation, whether you think that you can't lose your salvation. I want you to think and I want you to listen to the scripture. I want you to listen to the scripture that I read. Now, of course, we favor a natural reading of scripture, as much a natural reading as we can, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, but natural, meaning we're not going to try to interject our own predispositions into it. And that's a good biblical hermeneutic, which means a good study of practicing scripture. When you read scripture, you try to check all of your pre-understandings at the door. That's what you do. You let scripture interpret scripture. You let context interpret scripture. You do not let your pre-understandings, as much as you can, your 21st century, very likely American, eyes and ears interpret it before the context in scripture. So, what we're going to do is we're going to read... John 10, John 10, 28 through 29, and it simply says this, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Interesting. They will never perish. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's interesting. So, not only does... And Jesus is the one that's talking here if we look at the context of the scripture. If we look at the context of the scripture, we know that not only is Jesus talking about his sheep, he's saying, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. But he's saying this as well. He's saying that I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. so Or the father's hand. So it's interesting that he makes that point twice. You can't snatch them out of his hand. You can't snatch them out of the father's hand. That's interesting. Because we look at... He says, I give eternal life to them. So my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. When you When you get saved... When you get saved... It seems that scripture naturally, and there are other scriptures that back this up, more than the amount of time I have at this point in time to go into, but we might get to some of it. It seems God gives you eternal life right then. And what does eternal mean? It means never ending. It means it won't end. But even further, he clarifies saying, hey, they're never going to perish. So if you ever do receive eternal life, which is salvation, which by all accounts is salvation, I believe that's what is meant. Salvation meaning you'll never taste spiritual death meaning you will have eternal life eternal spiritual life they're never gonna perish ever so and you know you can you can disagree with me if you want to but it seems this seems to be the most clear cut of all of scripture they're not gonna perish never gonna perish and oh wait here's another thing wait a minute some people would say well wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute I can fall away. I have free will. I don't see that in scripture. Perhaps you're going to quote Hebrews. We'll get to Hebrews maybe at a later podcast or a later date and discuss the um, those scriptures. But I find here that not only does it say it once, it says it twice. No one can snatch them out of God's hand. No one is going to snatch God's children out of his hand absolutely no one is going to snatch them and if you think about this as well god is all-knowing he's all-powerful he is uh omnipresent so someone would have to be smarter than god or stronger than god or god would have to give them up and he quite simply doesn't he quite simply doesn't no one will snatch them out of my hand that's a promise so if you don't believe in eternal security i think you've got an issue i think you've got a problem how do you interpret that verse How do you interpret that? So one thing that we need to mention here, one thing that we need to keep in mind here is that if you don't believe in eternal security, someone might bring up a scripture in Hebrews or wherever it comes from, and one principle that is a biblical hermeneutic is you need to use the clear from scripture to interpret the unclear. and. There are times, there are times in scripture where it is very clear and to the point. For example, Jesus, Jesus does this both, both versions of this in one section. If you remember when Lazarus dies, he says, Lazarus fell asleep. Well, if you just took that in isolation, well, you might be a little bit confused trying to, uh, interpret that just like the disciples were like one of the disciples said well master if he's asleep he'll get better he'll he'll recover and then Jesus knowing that his disciples were a bit slow here or a bit dim like we can all be sometimes um he says Lazarus is dead and we're going to wake him up we're going to help him we're going to heal him so Jesus does both things there so you take the scripture you take the scripture where Jesus and the context where Jesus says Lazarus is dead and use that to interpret what he means by Lazarus is asleep. Lazarus is just asleep <clears throat> because then you'll understand what he's trying to, what point he's trying to make. If you look at first John five and 13, the scripture says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I hear some Christians say, well, you know what? I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, And some say, well, I don't even know that you can know that you're saved. Well, this scripture pretty much tells you, yes, you can. Actually, the entirety of 1 John was written as kind of like this this spiritual barometer. So you can know that you are saved. So let's move on. Let's move on to something else. Let's move on to something else with um, with this matter of eternal security. And it's gonna be 2 Corinthians 5.17. And of course, never just read one verse out of its context. Go back and check the context. We need to go back and check this context. So I'm gonna read a little bit more than 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm actually going to read the surrounding verses so that you can see what this is talking about. So this scripture says this. So this scripture says this, uh, Starting in verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but you're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do no longer, do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that was the new international version. Let's take a look at what another translation says, like the ESV, which is a more, which is a more uh, word-for-word translation, the NIV. The ESV renders it this way, starting at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the point I want to make here, if you look in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So my point is this. Think about this. When you get made into a new creation, when you get made into a new creation, when you are saved, right? If you could become unsaved, what are you made in un new creation? Is this new creation unnew? And then then I, I never I never see someone who believes that you can lose that you can lose your salvation I actually believe what Hebrews really teaches, that um, that you could never get it back. Um, I never see someone teach that, and maybe there's some some that do, but um, we'll get into that section in Hebrews later. But um, Scripture is pretty clear here. If anyone's in Christ, he's the new creature. You're new. You're a completely new being. Now, are there false converts? Of course. They weren't made into a new creature. Are there those who, are, who backslide? Yes, but if they are genuine Christians, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. They're going to repent of their sin and turn back to Christ. So for those of y'all who say that well eternal security is false well how do you interpret this because if someone has made a new creation for someone to lose their salvation are they are they still that new creation because that new creation is someone who is reconciled to God someone who lives for Christ someone who is who who has been given God's holy Spirit so, I think that opens up a lot of um, landmines if you believe that you can lose your salvation, at least based on this verse. I think that leaves a lot of theological landmines, and the most natural, most logical reading is that, hey, I'm a new creation in Christ because I believed. Because Christ has saved me, I cannot lose it. And again, going back to the other other verse, you can't be snatched out of his hand, and I've heard people say, well, I can choose to walk away. Well. It doesn't seem like god gives us that choice once you have repented of your sin once you have once you have agreed with god and repented of your sin and turned from your sin and trusted in christ seems like the decision's been made the decision's been made god says you are mine you cannot be snatched from his hand you cannot be snatched from his hand and our next scripture reference our next scripture reference as we're about to draw to a close, you have been bought with a price. You have been bought with a price. And this is this is the this is the scripture I think that it makes the most compelling argument for eternal security. And we're not done with this. This is a that you could write a book on this. And I'm sure books have been written on this. But I want to bring up 1st Corinthians 6 and 20. 1st Corinthians 6 and 20. If you are listening to this and you're where you can, I want you to pull up the scripture for me. And always pull up scripture. Compare what I say to scripture. Compare what I say to scripture. So if I pull up 1st Corinthians 6 and 20. If I pull up 1st Corinthians 6 and 20 and I go to the context which is the scripture around it what I'm going to see is I'm going to get into um, this this portion of scripture that's about fleeing from sexual immorality now the context itself does not justify taking taking the scripture out of its context and saying something like um, and saying something like oh you're bought with a price God 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 bought you God bought you therefore you can't lose your your, uh, your salvation. it doesn't make that jump directly. Let me say it doesn't make that jump directly because the context directly is talking about sexual morality. So when we read through this and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, I know we can, we can read this. Um, the scripture basically says this, starting at 18. Flee from sexual immorality, for every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, for whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now wait a minute. This expresses a principle. Number one, you should not be committing sexual immorality. That's the the face value here. But it tells us about a certain principle. And this principle is something we can apply to our eternal security argument. You were bought with a price. You were bought with Jesus' own blood. The Son of God, and I want you to think about this for just a second, the Son of God, who is high and holy, and he has never committed any sin, and his of anybody's blood, his blood would be worth more than any other person on the planet, and even more so, his blood would be worth more than anyone else on the planet, because that man, Jesus is worth more than anybody else who's ever lived. And God bought you with the price of his son's death. Jesus himself gave up his life to purchase the believer, the one who repents of his sin and trusts in God and trusts in Jesus for salvation. So I want you to see this. For you were bought with a price. So let me ask you this. If we know that no one can snatch from God his possessions, right? Are we saying really that that God would pay even the death of his own son? And he would promise that to give you eternal life on this basis of this payment. And then he would secure it. And then he'd let you walk away. Or then you could just lose it. Or then, you could just be snatched by the devil or some sin. No, that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. Because, let me ask you a question here. And let's take this back into the natural realm for just a second. Pretend you spend thousands of dollars on a on a sports car, if you want to take that analogy. something valuable to you. You spend thousands of dollars on it. To say that God would spend such a high price, pay such a high price, and this analogy doesn't do him justice, but to say that God would pay such a high price and then go forward and lose what he paid for would almost be like this. You go in and buy that brand new sports car that you love. You leave it on the side of the road. You leave the doors open. You leave the windows down. You leave the keys in the ignition and you park it in the roughest neighborhood that you can think of and you go to another state. My point is that when you buy something you secure it. You keep it with you if it's a value to you and we know that we're a value to God. Why? Because the scripture says we're more value than many sparrows. I want to read another portion of scripture and we want to avoid using scripture out of context. We want to avoid it. But there's another principle I think that helps us from this. Jesus, when he gives his parable in Matthew 12, says says simply this, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but this blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Let's go back to that 29. How can a, someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man? Now, we can get into the context of this later because, again, just like First just like Corinthians 6 and 12, it's not explicitly talking about somebody's salvation here. That's not the context. However, it tells us a principle that we can apply to this idea of eternal security that is otherwise clearly expressed in scripture. And the principle is this, no one can steal from you unless, unless you are overpowered. If you are a, now in the, in this scenario, in this scenario, um, yeah, I've heard a lot of different interpretations of chapter twenty or verse twenty nine, where some say the devil is is the strong man and Jesus is the one that plunders, that plunders his house. I've heard that before. I've heard that. Um, I've heard. I've heard a lot of different things, but here's the principle. Here's the principle. If somebody wants to steal from you, they're either going to have to either they're either going to have to overpower you, or catch you off guard. They're either gonna to have to overpower you, outsmart you, or catch you off guard. But here's the thing God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, which means God is everywhere. He can't be caught off guard. He can't be caught off guard. Nobody can, you know, outmaneuver him because he's everywhere. He's omniscient, meaning he he cannot be outsmarted. And he's all he's all powerful. Meaning he can't be overpowered. So you have an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, who has promised to keep you forever, eternally secure in Christ, because He bought you with Christ's own blood. You are a possession. You and this is something a lot of Christians don't understand. You know because a lot of times we're you know so adamant about our free will, and I'm not doubting you know free will. I, I think that we do have free will, but. We're subservient to God. We're God's servants. We belong to him. End of story. We belong to him. If you're in Christ, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You either belong to one or two masters, either the devil or Jesus. And once you are Jesus's, once you belong to him, scripture's pretty clear, he doesn't give people back. He doesn't give his possessions back. Once he buys you, once he purchases purchases you, With his own blood, remember, that is a very high price to pay for a sinner. That is a very high price to pay for us sinners. But he pays it because he loves us. And here's the thing. If he pays that, do you not think he won't secure that? Do you not think he won't protect you? Don't you think he he refuses to let the devil or even us steal us from his hand? He says it twice. No one will pluck them from my hand. No one will pluck them from the Father's hand. And I want you to think of this as far as the Trinity as we we close. God himself is literally the first, second, and third highest in power, authority, wisdom, and all good virtues and all good things. The devil at best, the devil at best is fourth in strength. God himself is first, second and third in power. The Holy Spirit is called the guarantor and we'll we'll go on more scriptures defending eternal security later as well as addressing the 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 verses that seem to contradict it. But my point here is this. My point here is this. He promises, once you get saved, and he says, and then I will give them eternal life and another scripture. We'll go to that one. Immediately, he gives those who are saved, his dear ones, he gives them eternal life. Eternal life means that, eternal means it will never end. And then he goes further and says, look, they're never going to perish. They're never going to die. Because he won't let you. He's going to hold you in his hand. And no one, not death, not death. Not principalities not powers not angels or demons nothing is going to separate you from God's love God's providential and caring parental love so I hope that this has been informative I hope this has been inspiring if you've been struggling with eternal security I hope that you can see by this that eternal security is Is a biblical doctrine and you can take comfort in the fact that eternal security is legitimate
1: i didn't talk much today but i do have one thing to say before he turns the podcast off a lot of people um like to talk about you know works and and how and and everything like that to do with eternal security like you could do something you know sin in some way that would lose your salvation and everything else like that and he you know Wes has pretty much covered everything as far as that goes however if you could earn your salvation there would have to be some sort of a bar like there would have to be some sort of point that you could get to or point that you could go below like there would have to be some sort of level where above it was acceptable and below it was unacceptable. And I just when you think about what Jesus did when he died on the cross and and um and his and the sacrifice that he made, all of which we've talked about um it really doesn't seem like there could ever be anything that would be good enough because there's not, which is why we have to be saved through grace
0: absolutely right, so you know when you think about and we can do uh grace plus- plus worse and worse um or grace alone, which, if you didn't know, salvation is grace alone through faith alone. Um, Great, I got that right, right. I didn't flip it around. It's late when we're recording this. Um, what if you if you didn't catch that? What work could you do that would match up or hold a drop in a bucket to the death of God's own Son? Nothing. Think of Hitler. Think of Hitler, and um, Hitler's Hitler useful for this. Think of had Hitler survived through the end of World War II and, you know, for some reason, you know, not brought to justice for his crimes. And then he had a change of heart and decided that he wanted to, you know, give flowers to every Jewish person alive as an apology. Do you think that the Jews who went through the concentration camp would have accepted that from Hitler? Well, not only are we just as bad and we're just as we're just much in a spiritual condition before Christ as Hitler is, we absolutely are. But also, our works are even less than that compared to the holiness of God. God isn't going to judge us on our good things if we're not in Christ, he's not. He's going to judge us on where we broke God's law that was written on our hearts. And I want you to consider those things today. If you are saved, if you are saved, if you know Christ, if you've been born again, if you have trusted Jesus for your salvation and repented of your sin, you can rest assured that there's nothing you can do to ever lose it. Have a good day. God bless. And we'll see you next time.